Tony Hines, you're listening to the Chain Reaction Podcast Special Edition, The Ghost of Christmas Present. And in this episode, I just want to run back over some of the things, some of the big stories and what's happened in 2021, and just take a little reminder before we see what might happen in 2022. Well, one of the big stories of 2021 has to be the UK's departure from the European Union. The UK officially exited on the 31st of December 2020. That wouldn't, of course, be ratified until the 31st of January. It was held up for a month while they finalised some matters of detail. Lots of the changes didn't come in or weren't supposed to come in till the January of 21. And then there were some delays because of not being able to reach necessary agreements. And so there was a bit of leeway given and lots of the impact of leaving the European Union would not be felt until much later in the year and perhaps more acutely in 2022 when new rules come in. But we'll talk about that in the next episode. So the biggest trading partner with the United Kingdom for many years was suddenly outside of the UK's remit. As the government in the UK decided it wanted to do deals elsewhere in the world and not be constrained by the European Union. In a 12-month period leading to the UK exit from the EU, many concerns were raised by hauliers that the previous roll-on, roll-off ferries would be disrupted and goods would get stuck at ports. And they did and there was a shortage of drivers, and there were new lorry parks and all sorts of bureaucracy to contend with. The food industry particularly was impacted. Fisheries, somewhat of a debacle as they tried to get this fishery deal. And really, that was a start to the 2021 year that made things more difficult. The real impact and effect of Brexit was, of course, disguised by the fact that COVID-19 was in full flow and all efforts were concentrated on finding vaccines that would work against this deadly virus. President Biden issued a policy statement putting supply chain resilience at the heart of the U.S. economy. And he said the United States needs resilient, diverse and secure supply chains to ensure our economic prosperity and national security. Pandemics and other biological threats, cyber attacks, climate shocks and extreme weather events, terrorist attacks, geopolitical and economic competition and other conditions can reduce critical manufacturing capacity and the availability and integrity of critical goods, products and services. Resilient American supply chains will revitalize and rebuild domestic manufacturing capacity, maintain America's competitive edge, 
in research and development and create well-paying jobs. They will also support small businesses, promote prosperity, advance the fight against climate change and encourage economic growth in communities of colour and economically distressed areas. So this made the headlines in the United States and elsewhere across Europe as people sat up and listened to a government that was obviously going to make change and hopefully change for the better that would make supply chains more resilient. It put supply chains on the map right at the centre of everything that everyone does. And rightfully so, I think, because supply chains are so important and there are many people that work hard in supply chains every day to deliver goods from all around the world and bring it to our homes and our businesses. Six days in March 2021 saw resilience tested to the limit. A real-world drama unfolded as the motor vessel Ever Given was stranded in a narrow section of the Suez Canal, about six kilometres in from the southern entrance. And that disruption to supply chains in Europe with goods coming from Asia was estimated at around $10 billion for each day the canal remained closed. The incident demonstrated the reliance placed on the Suez Canal and indeed other waterways that link continents, the gigantic container ships that sail continuously around the globe bringing essential as well as non-essential goods to businesses and consumers are a vital link between producer, supplier and customer. Evergiven is one of the longest container ships in service with a gross weight of 220,000 tonnes and a dead weight 200,000 tonnes and it's powered by a low-speed, two-stroke diesel engine, like many of these large container vessels. The fully laden draft of the ship is under 15 metres, so it's quite shallow, and it had an all-Indian crew on board, around 25 in establishment. In addition to the crew, there were two Egyptian pilots helping guide the ship through the canal. When it ran aground on Tuesday the 23rd of March, in heavy 40-knot winds and a sandstorm, so difficult conditions. Eight tugs tried to dislodge the ship and eventually, after a number of days, they did manage to free it and move it out of the way. But that was not until much chaos and a whole number of ships, about 70 or 80 ships, in line, queuing to move through the canal. Some of those ships had to turn around and go around the Cape and make the way to Europe that way. The ships would have to sail round the Cape of Good Hope and up the coast of Africa through the Atlantic to get to Europe if they missed the Suez Canal. And that added about two weeks to the journey each way. The operation to refloat the grounded ship blocking the Suez Canal was in progress for a few days after the 23rd of March. The stern of the ship was then freed on the 29th of March from the shoreline and it was corrected from its lodged position so it could be moved through that very narrow part of the canal and out to the Great Lake. The head of the Dutch salvage company commented that dredging mud and sand from the bow brought some progress before he went on to say that containers might have to be lifted if it didn't work, but fortunately they did manage to get it moved. Some 360-plus ships were said to be waiting to recommence their journeys through the Suez Canal. 
The knock-on effect of all the disruption from Evergiven and the Suez Canal hold-up appeared to put lots of container boxes in the wrong places as delays had a knock-on impact and also created hold-ups at ports for discharge of vessels because they weren't arriving at the times that they were expected and it was difficult to keep the flow of goods moving. I doubt that President Biden was considering a real test to his resilience approach and supply chains when he made the statement in early March, or at least not quite so soon for it to be tested. But tested it was. And that disruption carried on for some considerable time, and in fact it still hasn't come to an end. The COVID-19 pandemic caused further delays as people in ports and in transport systems and working in manufacturing operations and all sorts of industries became sick with the pandemic, the virus, and that disrupted many supply chains for months. Then came some big costs. There were reports emerging of price increases on container boxes being about five times higher than they were a year ago between Chinese ports and the UK, with the average box price up by four to five hundred percent. And this remains so till the end of the year. Box prices have stayed high, and there's a shortage of container boxes, mainly because they're held up at ports, they're in the wrong place, and Similar price increases were experienced by those in Europe, United States and different parts of the globe. So it wasn't just in any one area, it was everywhere. And we did an episode called Where's My Box, which discusses all the problems in the shipping industry in relation to container boxes. So you could go back and listen to some of those episodes if you want to catch up on the detail. In August, here on Chain Reaction, we did an episode looking at food security and the disruption that was taking place in food supply chains. And we noted that food logistics, which includes transport, trucks, ships, planes, and involves distribution hubs and ports, were all being badly affected by the delays at ports. And whether those delays were caused by container boxes being in the wrong place and congestion at seaports, or whether there were Brexit issues in the case of Europe and the United Kingdom, there were all kinds of hold-ups taking place. And so the episode on disruption, food security and environment pulled out three priorities for government, which are healthy food for healthy people, maintaining a healthy environment, and ensuring sufficient food is grown for the population. And they need policies to achieve these goals. And so this fits neatly with what President Biden was talking about with resilient supply chains, because that was part of his agenda to do that for the United States. In Britain, the policies were not so clear. Congestion at ports, of course, began to get worse, and they began to become noticeable. 
the press had got hold of reports that there were four and five day delays for ships entering ports like Felixstowe and other ports in the United Kingdom, as well as a crisis in the making at the major ports on the west coast of the United States in Los Angeles. And these hold-ups began to disrupt severely all types of supply chains, particularly with goods being brought from China to both Europe and the United States. But it wasn't just from that area, because once you get congestion at a port, it holds up everything. And so we had 70 or so ships in late August, early September, off the coast of Long Beach and Los Angeles. And you could see them on satellite technology, queuing for the port. And that has only really eased up towards the end of the year, ever so slightly. But I wouldn't say we're back to normal. We looked at the problem of human activity and its impact on the planet also in August, ahead of the COP26 conference that would take place in Scotland in October. There are frequent temperature changes with rises in excess of 40 degrees that cause wildfires, and they did in Australia, Greece, California and Turkey. And there's a growing inability of the Earth to reflect the sun's rays to reduce ground and sea level temperatures. Deforestation and the imbalances that brings to capturing carbon emissions and the excessive waste with chemicals, plastic and other waste entering the sea, rivers and landfills are all problematic. Biodiversity too is reducing. Animals are impacted badly by human activity destroying their natural habitats. The ocean and river fish stocks are being depleted. Freshwater free from contamination is a problem in many parts of the world. Soil quality is diminishing for growing crops and it's a threat to the amount of arable land that we're able to grow food on, fresh from harmful fertilisers. So it was a, a call, I suppose, for more action to think about what could be done to improve the position in relation to how we use the resources of the planet and how we might keep those resources for future generations. Many governments around the world have committed to achieving zero carbon by 2050, and it's an ambitious target. Everybody will have to do something to move to that target, and it won't be easy. Doing nothing, though, is not an option. If we don't want to see average temperatures rise by 2.3 degrees Celsius by the end of the century, and that might not sound much, but it is. That will mean floods, more fires, more extreme temperatures, and more stress on the scarce resources on the planet. During the summer period, many supply chains came under pressure because there were shortage of labour, not enough labour to harvest crops, not enough labour to drive trucks. So I think in the United Kingdom there were about 100,000 heavy goods vehicle drivers short as a result of mainly Brexit, but also the impact of COVID-19. And there were driver shortages in Europe and in the United States too. So all this was wrapping itself around and strangling supply chains. (laughs) 
By the end of September, I did an episode called A Bevy of Black Swans because people were talking about black swan moments and how they occur. These are unusual events, supposedly, a black swan movement, something you haven't experienced before. But by this time, we had the pandemic still causing lots and lots of problems with COVID-19, although vaccinations had been taking place in many of the developed parts of the world, the high-income, high-wage economies relative to the rest of the world. But we had other things happening. There were supply shortages, medicines and PPE equipment still problematic. We had gas supplies with wholesale price rises going up by as much as 400% in a day. Fortunately, they dropped back from that high position, but they're still problematic and those are still with us and they're going to feed into next year. And in Europe and the United Kingdom, we're going to face higher prices for businesses, for gas supplies and since we rely so much on those supplies it's going to be problematic in the united kingdom for example we only hold about two weeks gas supply for the economy and we buy it on spot markets which just seems ludicrous i think in the rest of europe it's about six or eight weeks that they actually store at any one time but the russians have put a stranglehold on gas supplies and that appears to be forcing prices upwards The food supply chain disruptions with empty shelves visible in stores was apparent in the end of September and people were becoming concerned that they wouldn't get their Christmas stocks and Christmas supplies in time. And they started to look at other strategies at that point and as the year developed, some large retailers began to charter their own ships to ensure that they were able to bring their stock from China back to Europe and the United States. So we had Walmart, Home Depot, Ikea and John Lewis Partnership in the UK, all chartering ships. And this was unprecedented, but this was to mitigate the risk of bringing goods in. So they were taking real control of their supply chains. CO2 became in short supply in the UK for food production. It became apparent that there was only a very small number of producers and one company in particular that produced fertiliser was the main supplier of CO2 to the food industry in the UK. And they decided not to proceed with the production of fertiliser, so they weren't making CO2. So there was a crisis of CO2 occurring. There were still problems with the shipping disruptions, with container boxes. There were still broken supply chains due to Brexit delays, and many labour shortages in healthcare, HGV drivers agriculture and food processing and it really was a bleak picture and not much appeared to be happening from the government in the United Kingdom to actually try and resolve these issues. It was like they were asleep while all this was going on. Towards the end of the year prices were rising significantly and inflation began to take hold. Initially only about two to three percent but by the end of 2021, it hit 5.2% in the United Kingdom, and it was about 7.2% in the United States. So inflation, all coming through the supply chain, all to do with increased costs of the pandemic, and in the UK and Europe, Brexit issues, but it was certainly pushing up cost for everybody. And then we had the problem of fuel prices increasing. So diesel and gasoline, petrol, all 
forcing prices higher and significantly higher. One haulage company told me they were paying 33% more for their diesel fuel at the end of 2021 than they were at the start. And that's going to be passed on to customers and consumers. Looking back at 2021, it was a year characterized by disruptions. Disruptions caused by the pandemic, Brexit in the UK, and one in which supply chains became unstable as a consequence. Many of the just-in-time systems found themselves in difficulty. In Britain, the government appeared helpless and hapless when it came to dealing with the impact of Brexit. The scientists and the National Health Service were able to marshal an effective response to delay the worst effects of the pandemic, and vaccines around the world were developed in double-quick time. In the US, the Biden administration focused attention on making supply chain resilience the center of its policy. It was an ambitious policy program to achieve the aim. It's probably too early to say whether the outcome will be a success, and it's difficult to evaluate whether or not the reality can match the rhetoric. For businesses working to develop supply chain advantage, they will need to enact agility, responsiveness, and resilience to deal with the disruption. With the pandemic still a threat to cause further disruptions globally, and Brexit still hanging like the sword of Damocles over the UK, these are challenging times, and inflation and the increasing cost of energy is rising up like a leviathan. There may be trouble ahead. So that more or less brings us up to date with the review of 2021 and what was happening in the present period. And next time, I'll be back to discuss what the outlook is like for 2022. So I hope you'll join me then for that particular episode. I'm Tony Hines. I'm signing off. I'll see you next time. Bye for now. Listening to the Chain Reaction Podcast, written, produced, and presented by Tony Hines. Hope you're enjoying these episodes of the Chain Reaction Podcast. Join me, Tony Hines, each week and listen to the Chain Reaction Podcast, all about supply chain advantage, which contains regular audio snippets relevant to C-suite executives, supply chain professionals, researchers, policymakers in government, students, media commentators, and the wider public. New episodes every week discuss hot topics in the news about supply chains, ideas relevant to everyone involved in the management of those supply chains. And we have special editions too. So I look forward to welcoming you to the Chain Reaction Podcast 
in 2022. Bye for now.